You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. Oh, so many lies in that open. It's a Tuesday edition of Writer Than You here on CBS Sports Radio on the great free Odyssey app, Sirius XM, Channel 158. But as you can tell, I am not Bill Ryder, nor am I in Los Angeles. It's bogus in for Bill on this Tuesday. Is Bill in Europe again on a secret mission? No, he's uh, traveling, hanging out with his fancy CBS TV people. And he'll be back on the show tomorrow with you. Well, for today, it's me and it's Diesel reluctantly in the building. We know the trend. Diesel likes to bail when Bill bails on the show because the last thing that Diesel wants is two hours face to face with me. But he is here on this Tuesday to get us through a busy Tuesday. An insane day of college basketball yesterday. Every NBA team plays. That's 15 games because the league is closed today to promote. Um, and give everybody a chance to vote on Election Day. And yesterday was opening day in college basketball, and every top 25 team played a non-ranked team. So we had 40 big-time college or uh, college and pro NBA games yesterday. Coming off a Monday Night Football game where the Ravens looked impressive again, the Saints looked like crap again. The baseball offseason is starting to tick up a little bit. Shohei Otani is in the news. Jacob DeGrom's officially a free agent. But there is only one place to start this morning. One of the most preposterous stories that I can remember. On any level, in any sport, it makes zero sense. It made zero sense when news broke uh, 22 hours ago. It made less sense after the man that made the decision tried to explain and defend the decision last night. We knew at this time yesterday Frank Reich was out as Colts head coach. And then shortly after Bill was done, the first whispers began that Indianapolis, needing an interim head coach, obviously, with a number of guys who made a lot of sense already on the staff to take over and finish the second half of the season in place of Frank Reich. None of those gentlemen getting the chance going outside the organization. And not just that, to a guy whose only coaching experience is three years at a Georgia high school from 2017 through 2019. Jeff Saturday, an Indianapolis Colt legend, is the interim head coach of Indianapolis. You've got to go back roughly six decades to the last time an NFL coach was hired without any other pro or college head coaching experience. It's embarrassing. It's laughable. So much so, the easiest thing to do is play you Jeff Saturday, the man who is at the center of this controversy in Indianapolis, who is even confused himself why he is now in charge of the Indianapolis Colts. If it goes well, hopefully it'll go extremely well. But I have no uh, preconceived notion that I'm going to be some spectacular anything. I know i got to work hard. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm auditioning not only for this one, but for, for 31 others, just like everybody else in this game. He actually said the words last night, I asked Jim Irsay why I'm a candidate for this job. Even Jeff Saturday didn't understand why Jeff Saturday was being approached to be the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And if you didn't know the Colts staff, all of these men are currently coaching, consulting, getting paid by Jim Ursay to work daily with the Indianapolis Colts. John Fox, multiple-time NFL head coach. Gus Bradley, not necessarily a good head coach, but has been a head coach in the NFL. If you wanted to go the route of cult legend or cult background, fans know him. 
name recognition, name value. You could have hired Reggie Wayne. You could have promoted Cato June. Both of those guys already on the staff in Indianapolis. If you watched Hard Knocks last year, you probably had fun getting to know Bubba Vitrone. Special teams coordinator, little ball of energy, good player special teams in the NFL, and a guy that people think is going to climb the ladder and may be a head coach in the NFL down the road. You could have given him this job on an interim basis. Also on the staff, another former talented offensive lineman, Kevin Mawai, already works in Indianapolis. And Jim Irsay said no to all of them and put Jeff Saturday in charge and only talked to Jeff Saturday. This was the choice. Frank Reich's out, and there's no defending Frank Reich today. There is wondering why GM Chris Ballard still has the jugs. I don't know how you split the blame game and say one deserves to be fired more than the other because this is an abject failure in Indianapolis. I wasn't alone in thinking this, but they were my pick in the AFC South this year. And if it wasn't for the Packers and it wasn't for the Raiders, they would be the clear-cut, most disappointing team in the NFL. Before firing Frank Reich, they benched Matt Ryan, went to Sam Ellinger, and then after his first game, 48 hours later, they fired their offensive coordinator. He's not the play caller, but he's still the offensive coordinator. So that guy got fired. And then because on Sunday they scored three points, they had 122 yards, didn't convert a third down, got embarrassed by New England and Foxborough, Reich loses his job. Everyone's got to go at this point. So there's no defending that part of this, and there's no supporting Frank Reich on that, on that angle. But what Jim Irsay did yesterday by focusing solely on Jeff Saturday and giving Jeff Saturday this job for one game, for eight games, whatever it ends up being, it's almost embarrassing enough that the NFL should have stopped him from doing it. Now, it appears, as I'm sitting here in New York, that the NBA has whispered, sent texts, whatever, to the Nets and said, you cannot, should not hire Ime Udoka out of a suspension in Boston. And we're now, is it a full week yet since Steve Nash has been out? And the Nets are still under Jacques Vaughn and what's appeared to be imminent. I mean, those reports last week were Udoka will have this job by within 48 hours. And now we're on a week plus and he doesn't have it. So the idea that the NBA has stepped in seems very valid. And I don't know that I would have blamed Roger Goodell for doing the same thing. This is the NFL. This is not college football on any level. This is not any spring football league. This is the National Football League. The Colts are also not the Cowboys or the Patriots. They're also not the Jaguars. This is so out of whack and so out of line. And multiple people have written columns in the last 24 hours. Anonymous quotes from this guy and that guy all around the league. It's crazy. This is a circus. This line, these words stood out to me from the athletic. Zach Kiefer wrote them. Quote, this is not the move of a serious team. And that's a really damning sentence. And it is 100% true. And the NFL is its own circus. It is a you-know-what show on many fronts. But this one hits different. This one goes against so many things. Even the serious idea and... I still wonder why this is true. And I thought it was only true when you promote it from within, but the Rooney rule doesn't apply to this situation because it's in season. But even it feels wrong in that front. And I know who Jim Irsay has hired in the past to be the head coach of his teams and Tony Dungy and Jim Caldwell. I understand that. 
but those hires don't give you a free pass. And even if it's not specifically an issue right now for Jim Irsay, I think it does, it, it's a very valid sentence to say it's hard to believe, it's hard to fathom if Jeff Saturday was black or a black Jeff Saturday would get a job like this. It is so hard for minority head coaches who are going up the ranks from position coach to coordinator. It is so hard for those guys paying their dues, quote-unquote, to get the top job. And then Jeff Saturday gets the top job because one time he was a really good player from the Indianapolis Colts. It It is just, it is so mind-boggling. And that's before we heard Jim Ursay talk. And he did a lot of talking last night, and he confirmed basically every criticism and fear you had of this hire because he basically said nothing that made any sense last night. I'm glad he doesn't have any NFL experience. I'm glad he hasn't learned the fear that's in this league that's because it's tough for all our coaches. They're afraid. They go to analytics, and it gets difficult. I mean, he doesn't have all that. He doesn't have that, that fear, and there was no other candidate. We were fortunate that he was available, um, and he has tons of experience. He knows this game inside and out um, with relationships with coaches and players. If you were listening closely, you heard the contradiction from sentence one to the second to last sentence. I'm glad he doesn't have experience. Words, 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 words. He has a ton of experience. Exactly. Jim Irsay going both sides out of his mouth to tell you why he did this ridiculous gamble. And he talked about Jeff Saturday as if Jeff Saturday was staying. Now, he's got the interim tag, and he kept saying this is just for now, and even Jeff Saturday said that. But he talked about him in a way that seems like he wants Jeff Saturday to be the head coach for a long time. We'll get to that after the season. And then after the season, the Rooney Rule does come into effect but then we could be in a different scenario where we're doing these comical, mock, disrespectful interviews of minority candidates just to satisfy a rule when Jeff Saturday is going to get the job anyway because Jim Mercer loves the fact that he is simultaneously experienced and inexperienced as being an NFL head coach. He's not experienced at being a head coach. It's a different thing. Because you were a really good offensive lineman and won football games and played in that game and won this and made that and Pro Bowls and whatever – that does not qualify you to be a head coach. It does not qualify you or prepare you to be on the sideline in the moment, calling timeouts. Am I punting? Are we kicking a field goal? Are we going forward on fourth down? Do I challenge that? Should I challenge? Now, Jeff Saturday may surround himself with eight people that are going to make all of these decisions, and he's basically just going to stand there and look experienced and slash inexperienced on the sideline during the games. And things... I guess it's the silver lining. Couldn't get much worse than last weekend for the Colts. They're already at rock bottom. But this is a decision that could dig past rock bottom and reset the bottom. Because it is just so dumb. And I, I this, is, this is not a direct criticism of Jeff Saturday. Now, what could he have done? He could have said, uh, I'm not qualified to do this. No, thank you. How about I come back next year and I coach your offensive line, and I learn how to do this. But that's not what's going on here. This is about Jim Ursay hiring an unnamed, anonymous, former great of the franchise to be his head coach. This happens sometimes at GM, right? We've seen this kind of move before, hiring a guy out of TV or off radio or out of the media 
to be your general manager. And while that doesn't make a lot of sense, it makes some sense because maybe that guy, even though he hasn't had the job, can identify talent, can negotiate a contract, can make a trade. But being an NFL head coach involves experience. It takes experience. It takes being in meetings and figuring out game plans and knowing how to relate to young players and get the best out of them or coax the last little bit of production out of veteran players. And you can't dispute Jeff Saturday's football playing resume, but he doesn't even have a football coaching resume to pick apart here because three years at a high school in Georgia, it just doesn't count. Plus, it was three years ago. It just doesn't matter. Jeff Saturday is only slightly more qualified than me and you to coach the Indianapolis Colts. The tiebreaker is he played for the Colts, but that's really not that big of a deal. Playing doesn't mean you can coach. And we may all be wrong, but that actually still, there's just, that seems impossible that we're going to be wrong here. I mean, does anybody think this is going to work? And I don't even need to qualify what work means. Does anybody think that this is not going to be straight failure? Because I can't imagine anybody inside Colts headquarters is happy with this. And I asked Tiki Barber, who sits in the next, the next studio from us, as this was breaking, I said to him, who's more upset right now? The Colt players, who obviously know Jeff Saturday, but they want a guy who's earned it. Are they more upset that he's in charge now? Or is the staff more upset that they didn't, that none of them got a chance to do it, and now they've got to work for a guy? Again, they might like and respect, but he's not one of them. He's not a coach. No one's going, ah, oh, it's about time Jeff got this job, got this chance. It's an interim basis, sure, but you know what? I can go to war with Jeff Saturday. And Tiki kind of laughs at, yeah, that's the point. Like, they're all upset. No one's happy with this. It's just, it's not possible to be. And Jim Mercer sitting there, very smugly telling us what he knows. I know about building winning teams and winning culture. Do you? Because the team right now is 3-5-1. and one. And the distance between Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning and now is just getting farther and farther and farther. And he talked proudly of, I know how to build a team. Do you? Because the teams you've built recently couldn't protect Andrew Luck from the other guys or himself. And Andrew Luck walked away from the game at his prime. Phillip Rivers, you thought, was going to be there for multiple years. He gave you one, took you to the playoffs, and said, "Ah, you know what, guys, I'm going to go home now. And they could not have been more wrong about Carson Wentz. And they could not have been more wrong about Matt Ryan, partly because Frank Reich admitted that we didn't build a good enough team around Matt Ryan to have success. But Jim Irsay sat there last night despite all of those things, all of those realities, all of those facts, and said, stop your complaints, stop your criticism. You don't know what you're talking about. I do. But I don't think he does. And in fact, only maybe he thinks he knows what he's talking about. Because there is zero defense of this. Zero defense. It's so bad, and it's so irresponsible, and it's so illogical that, like, and I'm always amazed by this, and maybe it's my ignorance of never being near power, money, prestige, cachet. Diesel hides it well. 
I would hope that if I ever was in a position of power, running something, anything, whether it be like my own small business or an NFL team, that I'd still have the self-awareness to have like people around me that have the the the, the freedom to be like, this is a, a ridiculous idea. You cannot do this. Maybe I'm completely, completely giving myself too much credit. And at some point I would be a power crazed lunatic doing whatever I want to my, to my organization, to my store, whatever. But so I'm always amazed by people who just, who don't have that. And clearly Jim Irsay has got nobody that he listens to and nobody that feels the freedom and the confidence to go, Jim, we can't give Jeff Saturday this job. For the sheer fact that I already have given you one, two, three, four, five, six guys that deserve it, that actually deserve it when Jeff Saturday doesn't. Six guys already in the building, already getting paychecks that either have been head coaches before or could be head coaches. And let me see if they actually can do the job, and then I'll be the guy that gives it to him full-time, not somebody else hiring him off my staff, and then I look silly for never giving him the opportunity here, and I lose him and he goes somewhere else and he has success. From John Fox and Gus Bradley to a guy like Bubba Vatrone, there are so many easy choices. Because who really, in general, have we ever had a conversation before ever about an interim head coach? Because normally the conversation is the guy that got fired, shouldn't he have? Who can we hire full-time? But everybody, you know, here in New York, no one's arguing over Jacques Vaughn running the net post-Steve Nash. The conversation was Steve Nash, how much the blame does he deserve, celebrating his freedom from KD and Kyrie, and then is it Udoka, is it somebody else? We never care about interim replacements because we know they're caretakers. And, for the mo- and sometimes it's a guy that we think maybe can get the job full-time, so we pay a little bit of attention to that. But this is by far the deepest, longest, loudest, loudest conversation I can remember about an interim head coach. And it's because Jim Irsay made one of the most illogical, ridiculous decisions that I can think of in giving this job to Jeff Saturday, who has zero coaching experience in any form in college or the NFL. And running an NFL team in a game on a Sunday or a Monday night or Thursday, whatever it is, it's not a caretaker's job. It is not a CEO job. You know, in college football, you can kind of do this. Legendary guys, end of their career, have coached like this where they're just there as the CEO and the offensive guys do offense, the defensive guys do that side of the ball. They all kind of meet in the middle, and here we go. But Jeff Saturday's got a coach. He's got to work. He can't just be a rah-rah guy and not – Talk about X's and O's and game plans and know when it's right to call a timeout or use a challenge. They don't even know who's calling plays on Sunday. And it's Tuesday morning. I, I just, I can't believe it. It was bad when it came out yesterday afternoon and it only got worse when Jim Irsay opened his mouth last night. So much more on this. I can promise you that the Colts are not in any form or fashion in NFL power rankings. We will do that as always on a Tuesday morning. Buy or sell next hour. I already have it in my hands. If you want a sneak peek of D-Cell's magic, if you want to have some extra time to process his writing skills, his critical thinking, let me know. I'll screenshot it. I can DM it to you. My gift to you, a sneak peek at buy or sell ahead of the rest of the country about an hour from now. 
It's Tuesday late in the fall, so that means it's a new college football playoff ranking revealed tonight. This is number two of five, I believe. We know George is going to be at number one. After that, the questions begin. Michigan State, uh, Michigan or Ohio State, TCU or Tennessee, where does Oregon go? Are Alabama and Clemson officially eliminated tonight from any kind of contention? We'll do all of that in a second, and as well with Barrett Salee in our number two. We'll sprinkle in some baseball. There's a lot to do, as per usual. We come to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. When you need cash out of your home and a simple way to get it, Rocket can. It's bogish. In for Ryder. Ryder than you on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Ryder Than You podcast. Bill Ryder's off on this Tuesday morning. Power meetings for Sweet Willie. He's back in the chair tomorrow. Andrew Bogish, Tom D. Celestino, and you here on Ryder Than You on CBS Sports Radio. Phone lines are open at 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. We all know how much D. Cell wants to see that light flash. Pick up the phone. Hear your sweet, respectful voice. Ask me a part of the show. Tweets coming in as well, at Andrew Bogish, at CBS Sports Radio, at CBS. Alan in Manitoba, big fan of the show as always, checking in. Andrew, happy pre-hump day. That's a good call. Tomorrow's hump day. Some call this election day. Some call it just Tuesday, but it is pre-hump day, hump day eve as well. Uh, I know you will speed through the two hours of the show unless someone tries to decelerate you. Signed, Alan in Manitoba. Well played, Alan. Really well played. But to his credit, D-Cell's been a professional so far. Emails with story ideas. Here's this clip. Here's that clip. Can I get you a drink? I'm sure he's been texting with his wife how horrible it is. I'm sure the second I walk out of here at noon, he will be relieved and happy that this is over. Because this is torture for him. He hates it when I fill in for Bill. He hates it, hates it, hates it. Normally, he wouldn't be here. But again, this kind of came up relatively quick. And just not enough heads up, you know, lead time for you to bail on the show as well. I tried. I, I did know. everything I possibly could. The powers that be down the hall said I had to be here, so here I am. Now, Mr. College Football, please no thank you expansion guy. We still have your beloved four teams right now. Obviously, Georgia is number one. Michigan, Ohio State, to me, two, three. We'll get to that in just a second. So really the most, the big, the real questions begin at number four. Who you got? TCU, Tennessee, somebody else? Who's your number four right now? It's TCU, and it's TCU by default. I don't feel great about it. I know they're undefeated. I know they didn't get any love last week for being undefeated. Tennessee, in my mind, is out. Alabama, in my mind, is out. There's nobody right now I can put other than TCU. So that's actually the way I have written down to word my question to Barrett Salih to kick off our number two here of the show, is TCU number four by default because they're unbeaten? Because I don't think they're better than Tennessee. As I mean, and, and Tennessee let us all down. Didn't have to necessarily win on Saturday, but we did not get the epic game we thought we were going to get. We were geeked up. It was one versus two in the AP poll. Then it became one versus three with Tennessee in the top spot after the CFP rankings came out. It should have been an all-time game. You freaked out visually with your face yesterday when I said the MLS Cup final, or just MLS Cup, on Saturday was the best game of the weekend. And it was up against head-to-head Tennessee-Georgia. And Tennessee was so bad in Saturday's game that I flipped it, took it first off my TV, put soccer on my TV, had Tennessee-Georgia on the iPad. Then I even dropped it off the iPad 
because the Vols no-showed so much. But like with Oregon, I kind of want to believe now that that's more testament to how good Georgia is than maybe how bad or how limited the Ducks and the Vols might be. So I, I kind of want to put Tennessee at number four, knowing that they can't stay there. That's the other part of this conversation is they can't stay at number four because they have no way. They can only go backwards. There's nothing that's going to make, that's going to confirm that spot. They can't go forward because they're not going to be in the SEC title game now. So they are kind of dead and floundering, but it's week two. And right now, if you're judging, to me, they're better than TCU and beating LSU and beating Alabama is better than anything by a large margin the TCU resume has. So I think Tennessee, even though they've got no way to actually be in the Final Four when we're done with it, when we're really picking it, I think they should be forged right now. You're more comfortable putting Tennessee number four than you are Oregon right now. So Oregon and TCU are in the same position in that they don't have to be number four right now, but they can be number four, where Tennessee can't be number four when we get to the end. Because one way or the other, we're going to have presumably either Michigan or Ohio State with one loss, and then TCU and Oregon, at least one of them to me is going to is going to finish the is going to run the table, right? So, and then they'll be in a one loss Pac-12 champ in Oregon. All likelihood gets in or unbeaten TCU, they get in. So that's their plus is that they can get there. Tennessee can't get there. There's no path on them to get there. But if we're just judging right now, yet yeah, to me, Tennessee is the fourth best team in the country. And do you see a path, because I, I think this makes a difference when we're talking about the end of the season. Do you see a path for a one-loss Clemson to get in? And I don't. I think Clemson and Alabama are done. And I, I am intrigued by how far the committee puts them back. If the committee unofficially, officially eliminates them by putting them that far away from the top four spots. Now, let me let me ask it this way. You would have a one-loss Clemson that could be an ACC champion. Yeah. You have a one-loss Oregon that could be a Pac-12 champion. So does it benefit the Ducks that they got absolutely smoked by Georgia in week one and they had all this time to rebound yes. where Clemson doesn't have that? Uh, Clemson doesn't have the chance to rebound, nor does it have the, the, the what's the right word, the inventory to rebound. It's okay that Oregon is that much worse than Georgia. It doesn't mean that they're not better than everybody else around them. And yeah, well, one loss Pac-12 champion Oregon is better than a one loss ACC champion Clemson. No doubt about it. And if we put it this way, if we say Georgia is by far the best team, or at least head and shoulders the best team right now anyway, widely expected to be the number one team, obviously, tonight. And if and if Oregon does get in at the end of the season, they'll probably be the number four team. Yeah. They have a chance to be number three, but probably the number four team. Are we really going to get that rematch? I mean, we have to. I can't, you can't hold – I don't think you can hold that against them. You can't put somebody else there because we already have seen Georgia, Oregon. Any way that creeps into the committee's mind, though? Um, I mean, it could. I wouldn't be shocked if there was a a curious move of Oregon to three and somebody else to four. I mean, in that scenario, you know, maybe if, let's just say, Michigan puts a thumping on Ohio State and then you drop Ohio State to four and Oregon then to three, I think I don't think everyone would care about that. But I don't think you could say Oregon can't be four 
because we can't have them play Georgia again and have a repeat of 49-3. I, I think that's unfair. If they deserve to be in, and that means being in and seeing Georgia again, it is what it is, and you hope that it's better than it was back in week one. So since I'm here for Bill, someone's got to be me. That is the illustrious Peter Schwartz. He is in the building. He's in the room with his Islander hoodie in honor earned by his Isla so far. Big win last night. Big win last night. Down 3-1. Yeah, taking on the blue shirts tonight at the Garden, Bill's favorite hockey team. I doubt he will know even (laughs) right now that that game exists tonight, but if he did, he'd be super pumped and talking smack to you. Uh, But for now, let's get a CBS Sports update. Here's Peter Schwartz. You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. Welcome back to a Tuesday edition of Writer Than You here on CBS Sports Radio. Andrew Bogish in for Bill today. Thanks for listening as always, whether you're at the free Odyssey app, Sirius XM channel 158, or on one of our many amazing affiliates across this great country on a very important day. Uh, I'll say it very briefly, and I'll say it right down the middle. Just make sure you vote today. We just have to. There's just no two ways about it. Different sides of different debates. There's a lot of very important, significant, long-term things hanging in the balance right now. So whomever you're going to vote for, just make sure you actually vote for them, him or her today. Um, The NBA, as Peter mentioned in his update, not playing games today at all. Players wanted it. NBA agreed to it. I realize this. College basketball had the agreement to not play on Election Day, and then – that went away. It was only a one-year thing, and today there actually are games. Now, that being said, you can vote before you play a game or go to a game or work a game, so that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, But teams and leagues and organizations making the commitment to free things up, I certainly believe personally that today should be a a federal holiday so that everybody can make sure they're voting and have time to get it done. Um, So whatever you're going to vote for, whoever you're going to vote for, just make sure you actually get your vote counted today if you haven't done so already. Uh, hour number two in the show, buy or sell, Barrett Salee, CBSSports.com, CBS Sports HQ on the new college football playoff rankings coming out tonight. We can get back to the Colts as well. But on the field last night, Monday night football, is that week nine already? Ending last night at the Superdome, Saints and Ravens, Baltimore beat up, no Mark Andrews, no Rashad Bateman, down their top two running backs, Dobbins and Edwards. And they won fairly easily because the Saints, like everybody else in the NFC South, are just not a good football team. And that's not specific to Andy Dalton, but he is certainly part of the problem. Had no offensive line last night. They couldn't run it. They couldn't protect it. And a harassed, hurried, pressured Andy Dalton is not the best version of Andy Dalton. And in the end, the Ravens get a win. It's three in a row, four of their last five. And they certainly cannot live like this long term. And we're on, is this the third straight season of them almost, it feels like, leading the world in injuries. I mean, they have not been anywhere close to full strength for a long time. Not an excuse. It's just reality. But last night, with Lamar Jackson kind of playing that point guard role and just throwing to whom was open, it worked. He needs Mark Andrews back. He's not going to get Rashad Bateman back. He's done for the year. Maybe Deshaun Jackson helps enough to make defenses be honest and not focus completely on Mark Andrews. Obviously, they need the running backs back as well. They need to get a full strength. But I liked watching Lamar last night just play with who was out there. Ten different guys were targeted. Eight different guys had catches. And the Ravens played more Raven defense. Season low for yards for the Saints. Didn't get a touchdown till late in the fourth quarter. 
struggled on third down. Justin Houston was great. Two and a half sacks, the late pick that basically wrapped things up. And the Ravens are 6-3. and three. They go into their bye with a little bit of cushion on the Bengals. And they are far from a finished product. And you can have your valid concerns about what they are big picture in the postseason. I get that. And those things can only go away if they, as a team, and individual guys like Lamar play better when we get to January. But for right now, the Ravens at 6-3, and three, because of who they've been playing without, to me, that's an impressive 6-3. and three. And last night was kind of the formula for the short term of how to get this done. Now, obviously, the bye helps them in a big way. You'd think Andrews would be back at least uh, after this bye. Gus Edwards was close. They're running back. One of those top two guys out. He was close to playing last night. Kept him questionable, doubtful until game time. Maybe he's back after this bye. But, you know, they can be creative. And Lamar can be one of the best players in the world. And that defense can do enough to make some kind of limited offense stand up and be enough for a victory. I remain impressed. You can be frustrated, and you should be, by three games that they could have won and didn't because they collapsed. But now, because they've won three of four and four of five, they seem to have rid themselves of that habit. They have stopped wetting themselves in the second half with leads. They have led, by the way, by double digits in all nine of their games. Can't excuse the mistakes that they made and the way they came up short in those three blown second-half leads but if you want to spin it ultra positive, the Ravens could be 9-0 and last, like right now. They were in position to be unbeaten alongside the Eagles right now. They didn't get the job done. Some other teams beat them as well. But they're a legit 6-3. and three, And they can, to me, there's a lot of room for them to get better from here. Which is why they are going to feature in NFL Power Rankings. Some will rise. Others will fall. Let the ranking begin on Writer Than You's NFL Power Rankings. Number five. Is those Baltimore Ravens at six and three in a somewhat confusing, bungled, crowded AFC picture because the Bills lost again and because we don't know what the status is of Josh Allen's right elbow at the moment and that could be a season-defining injury for him for the Bills and for the conference, everybody's got at least two losses in that AFC. So it's hard to pick and choose who goes where. But for all of the reasons I just laid out, Lamar's great. You have to hope, assume they're going to get healthy. The defense seems to be locked in at the moment. They've been in position to win all nine games they've played this year. Give me the Ravens at number five. Number four. And this is kind of a tiebreaker scenario because... I remain impressed by Tua Tungavailoa. I wish the Dolphins played better defense. Uh, or maybe Justin Fields is going to make Bill a happy Bears fan sooner than expected. Or more than Bill ever thought he could possibly be. I would have liked a little more D from Miami over the weekend against the Bears. But because they're one of the teams that rallied past the Ravens, gave them one of those three losses, they get number four this week. Number three. I can't believe I'm about to say this. I can't believe we live in this world. I think Diesel knows where I'm going. He's cringing. He's rocking back. He looks nervous. Number three in my NFL top five right now, the Minnesota Vikings. I, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do. 
I mean, who's who's the other NFC team in this conversation? I mean, you know who number one is, right? Okay. They have one loss. Everybody else either has zero or two or more. They've got one. Kirk Cousins can't dance. Diesel and I are as uncool as they come, but we look like Fonzie in comparison to that guy. He does have a better body than me. I, again, Diesel will take his shirt off and pay off the bet. He made Kirk Cousins look good in the plain shirtless. I'm jealous. Diesel might look like that. Diesel might go, eh, whatever. No big deal. But Kirk Cousins played a tough game, took some big hits, kept getting up over the weekend. They can run it. They've got Jefferson, opportune defense. And simply put, they just keep winning. Is it six in a row, five in a row? No matter what, they're seven and one overall, and somehow they are number three in our power rankings. Number two. It's the Chiefs. Uh, at the moment, they're the best team in the AFC because we don't know where Josh Allen's elbow is. Well, I mean, we know where it is. We don't know how it is. And I'll give them credit. They could have lost on Sunday night. The Titans had their number. We're playing a near-perfect game. We're up by eight with Malik Willis barely playing quarterback in the fourth quarter in Arrowhead in prime time. But the Chiefs, because of Patrick Mahomes, found a way to get to overtime, took the lead, made a defensive stop, got the win because they're Mahomes, because I assume they are going to figure out some of their issues on both sides of the football. Six and two, the Chiefs number two. Number one. It's the Eagles. It's easy. There's no other way to go here, right? I mean, they've been, I'm assuming, number one for weeks now here because, as you know, I don't listen to the show. I can't imagine Bill made any kind of convoluted argument to have them not at number one. They don't lose. Last Thursday seems like forever ago when they played, pulled away second half from the Texans. Jalen Hurts continues to author um, what might be an MVP season, and this is all Philly's got left now. Phillies are done. The Union didn't win MLS Cup. Harden's out. Embiid's sick. The Flyers, good start, but that's a bad hockey team. The entire city now, all they've got left is the Eagles, and so far, they have not let them down. Honorable mention. Here's where the Bills are. Now, they would probably be number four, bumping Miami back to five, bumping the Ravens back into this scenario. They actually might be number three. Bottom line is, as we sit here just before 11 Eastern on this Tuesday morning, not knowing how bad Josh Allen's elbow injury is or is not, I can't do anything other than leave them out. Honorable mention, incomplete, unknown, TBD. You give your this segment, this pick, a different name here, but not knowing if they have their star quarterback for the next couple of weeks or the rest of the season, UCL injury scares me. This is the best I could do for the Bills. Here's your participation trophy. I still don't know if the bottom drops out, if the shoe drops, if the Niners figure things out, but the Seahawks, for now, they keep winning. Geno Smith's, I don't know what, comeback player of the year, awesome story of the year. Kenneth Walker, the third, scoring touchdowns, racking up yards. Pete Carroll, the oldest coach in the NFL, running up and down the sidelines, giddy, hugging dudes, embarrassed the Cardinals over the weekend. It's a great story, the Seattle Seahawks. Better luck next time. A little love for the Titans because I didn't think they had a chance on Sunday Night in Arrowhead, and they had more than a chance. They had a winnable game. 17-9, fourth quarter. They almost won in KC at primetime with their quarterback having five completions for 80 yards. They still scare me. I still don't know if overall they're built to really go far, but playing without Ryan Tannehill in that scenario and almost being the Chiefs, they got to get some love this week.
At least you tried. And again, more love, very generous. Uh, the New York Jets. Now they tried and they won and they messed things up for a little bit. Their win on Sunday over the Bills, mostly against a healthy Josh Allen, whatever injury he's got came late, late, late in the game. So they beat a healthy Josh Allen and opened up some questions in the AFC about the Jets and about the Bills and about the entire playoff picture. So good on the Jets for getting that win, especially bouncing back from a humbling loss the weekend before. They just can't beat the Patriots, but apparently they can beat the Bills. So good on them for getting it done, but we'll see what they can, how they follow up to that, and we'll see also, too, what Josh Allen's elbow situation is. That's going to be the lead story today. Sean McDermott said yesterday he'd give us on the outside an update on Wednesday, which is now tomorrow. But my guess is later today there's going to start to be some whispers, some reports, maybe some concrete reporting on the test results on Josh Allen's elbow injury. He got hit on that arm late in the game, threw one un-Josh Allen-like pass, then threw one 69 yards in the air on the final game, on the final throw of the game. Said he had mild pain afterwards, saw him shaking out his arm. But UCL, nerve damage, those are the words tossed around yesterday. It does not sound good. And anytime you're sending that level of player to any advanced testing is definitely cause for concern. And it doesn't require saying, but you know it, and I'll say it. If he's out, the Bills are half done in the AFC. We are half done on this Tuesday edition of Writer Than You. College football gets us going in hour number two. Barrett Salee, CBSSports.com, on the pending second release of the CFP rankings. Don't go anywhere. It's Writer Than You on CBS Sports Radio.